0: So we all make our plans for barbecues or cookouts, these kinds of wonderful events, as the summer rolls along. And in our planning, we can only do just so much, right? We we make our list of people, we send out our invitations, we plan the location and the food, but there are some things that are outside of our control. Most notably, whether someone's going to actually show up, right? And then... Even more out of our control is whether the weather will cooperate for an outdoor event. Well, I hope that it'll be a great day, and I hope it'll be not too hot, but not cold. Sunny, but not like overbearingly sunny, right? There's a lot of things. I I hope it's going to work out. In that scenario, your hope is based on an ever-changing weather pattern kind of a tough spot to be. But when we talk about hope from a biblical perspective, we're saying something entirely different. We're not talking about hoping in a changing or an unreliable object. Instead, we are hoping in God, and because our hope is in Him, it is a confident, fixed, Hope because everything and everyone else changes, but he does not. I change, he changes not. Everything around me changes, he doesn't change. He is fixed, he's eternal in the heavens. When God makes a promise, it's an absolute guarantee. Hope, like faith, is only as good as its object, the thing hoped for, the thing trusted in. Hope and faith are really well related in that way. If we hope and trust in something that is not reliable, then our hope and our faith will find itself disappointed. But when our hope and our faith is upon an unchanging, faithful, reliable God. It is an absolute certainty, a guarantee. And that's what we'll meditate on this morning in various ways. Listen to these encouraging words about God's character and nature from various Scripture texts. They'll flash on the screens to my left and right. Hebrews 13.8 Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God calls himself, particularly with note to Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's in it, through it, before it, and after it. He's consistent and faithful. In Hebrews chapter 6, a little bit of a longer passage and a little bit smaller print on the screen, verses 17 through 19. This is beautiful. We're going to come back to this at the end of our time this morning. Only in reference. We're not going to turn there, and it's not going to be on the board. I'm just going to make mention of it. So keep this in mind. Think about what's happening here. He's going to talk about a promise and an oath. Two things. A promise and an oath. Listen to these words. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things the promise and the oath in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What you don't see in that text is what comes just before it. When, when God says, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. He swore on his own name, essentially. There's no way. He doesn't say, I swear on my mother's grave. No. He swore by himself. And his yea is yea. His nay is nay. That's the way it is. He's faithful. He's faithful. This is why we can hope. In, him. in Lamentations 3, the Bible says this in verses 22 and 23, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are never coming to an end. They are new every morning. Will you say the last part with me? Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. This, this is what our whole confidence is based upon the fact that God is unchanging. These elements of confidence we receive from thinking about God's faithfulness bring praise to our lips. As we move further through this section of Romans, we will have, our, we will have praise on our lips and hope in our hearts because of God's faithful ministry through Jesus Christ. This is further encouragement for us To welcome one another the way that we have been welcomed. We're in Romans 15. Look at verses 7 right through verse 13. God's Word says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with all His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God's word is so faithful because God is faithful. Without God, God's Word means nothing. God's Word is guaranteed because God is the author. And God's character authenticates that every promise made will be fulfilled. In verse 8, as we read verse 8, we recognize that the basis of our confidence and our ability... To freely and happily welcome others into the church with a warm embrace. The basis of this is the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So in verse 7 he says, Welcome one another just like Christ welcomed you right for the glory of God. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness or faithfulness. This Expression that Jesus became a servant, that the Christ, the Messiah, became a servant, is a familiar theme in Scripture. He is referred to in the book of Isaiah in a certain section as the suffering servant, right? Jesus, in his own words, said in Matthew 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. For many, he came as a servant. And in the book of Philippians, we see the same concept. He took on the form of a servant. This is a recurring theme in scripture that Jesus came as a servant and he came to serve God's people. As we move through our study this morning, our Savior's ministry will, as always, take center stage. The first item of our discussion this morning is this. Christ's Ministry proves God's faithfulness. Christ's ministry proves God's faithfulness. It says, again in verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. He became a diakonos, a servant or a deacon to the circumcised, to the Jews. This is somewhat of a familiar uh, theme as well, that Jesus came to the Jews... He came under the law. He came to the Jews. Uh, the author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, uh, verse 16 actually. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. You see that concept? He came to the circumcised, he came to the Jews. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In coming to serve God's people, he proves God's truthfulness, it says. The word truthfulness. Aletheia in the Greek. Um, it, it, it's referred to in the Old Testament with a different Hebrew term. It's ameth. has the idea of faithfulness, steadfastness, sturdiness. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. Truthful. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul proclaimed this. Let God be true... And everyone, even though everyone else, were saying something untrue. Everyone else is a liar. If you're comparing two things, God says one thing and someone counters it with something different. God is true and every man's a liar. He's truthful. This is who he is. He's referring to the fact that all that God says is true because God is ultimately trustworthy. Have you experienced that trustworthiness of God Have you seen Him prove to you over and over again in your life that the things He says are true? It's really reassuring. It's very comforting when we see God's handiwork in our lives. It continuously reminds us that when God speaks, He speaks truth. People say all kinds of things. People make all kinds of promises. You know, how happy does it make you when you buy an item that comes with a limited warranty, right? And then it breaks. <laughs> you call the manufacturer or whoever the warranty is with and you're like, "All right, I bought this on this date, I have these receipts, I bought the warranty." And they say, "Oh, oh, that oh, that part? That's not covered." You haven't had that experience. Just me. I buy the warranty, something breaks. It's not covered. Happens all the time. Drives me absolutely insane. It's like, why do I buy the warranty? Because if I don't, something worse is going to happen. That's kind of how I look at it. So I buy the warranty, and it never works out for me. I think one time in my life it worked out. But it sounds about right. God has no such loopholes. When he makes a statement, you can count on it. He doesn't need to say, as I mentioned earlier, I swear by my mother's grave. Or whatever other expression might come, when God says it, it's just true. It's just true. He doesn't need to make oaths. He doesn't need to swear. He doesn't need to um, affirm again. He just he says, and there it is. So when we're talking about God's truthfulness, we're talking about His faithfulness. His faithfulness in this passage to start with is toward His covenant people. Um, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to come to. And it says, remember, Jesus said he he came unto his own. Well, the rest of it says, and his own received him not. At the end of verse 8, it talks about the fact that these things were to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus coming to his own people were to confirm, to prove, that he was telling the truth when he was talking to the forefathers of the people of Israel. Now, God has made promises about his saving work from the very beginning. The earliest scene you can see is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, right after Adam and Eve sinned. And God says, Listen, you, I told you not to, to do this, you did it, but I'm going to provide for you a redeemer. We see that uh, foreseen in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. But as the scriptures unfold, God makes promises to the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, that he was going to bless Abraham and his seed. And he was also going to bless all the nations of the earth through that seed. Now, it's seed singular. Any idea who that singular seed is? Class, who is the seed? Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God. David the eternal son of God so in this passage he's saying welcome one another the way you've been welcomed by Christ Christ came as a servant to the circumcised the Jews so that they would see the confirmation of all the promises and this is exactly what Paul says in Acts chapter 13 so we're going to take a look there just take a left in your Bibles you're in Romans 15 head to the left to Acts chapter 13 just for a moment Listen to Paul proclaiming God's faithfulness in this sermon. We're just going to cut into the middle of it and read seven verses. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 16. It says So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Verse 17. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him, he, God, raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Listen to verse 23. Of this man's offspring... God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. Will you read the last words with me as he promised. The arrival of Jesus, we celebrate it every year on Christmas, the incarnation. As a church, we're celebrating that incarnation every time we gather and when we leave and when we wake up, when we go to bed, the fact that God the Father sent his son To be the Savior of the world. But in this passage in Acts 13, Paul is testifying to God's faithfulness that he proclaimed to the fathers that he was going to send a seed, a Savior, a Redeemer, an Anointed One, Christ. And he came. He came as a demonstration of God's faithfulness to His Word. Head back to Romans 15. When God promises deliverance, you can count on it because He never lies. This is why, friends, we can confidently tell our children, come to Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. We can confidently tell our children, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. We can say this with confidence. God promised. And when God promises, you can count on it. So not only can we tell our children And inform them again and again that that God is a safe one to run toward, to come to. We can tell our neighbors and our co-workers and people we come in contact with. We can say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. And God keeps His promises. We can count on it. This is such good news for us. The ministry of Jesus Christ proves God's faithfulness. You can trust Him. He can save you. If you have trusted Him, listen to this. He is in you. He is with you. He is for you. Can you imagine having God on your side? I love sports, you know it. Sorry. I love the nitty gritty of sports. Sorry. I like to talk about sports. Sorry. You want certain guys on your team. Because if they're on your team, you're that much more likely to win. Because they're good at what they do. Listen. You might have Tom Brady on your football team or LeBron James on your basketball team. That's great. That guarantees nothing. If God's on your side, that guarantees success. Amen. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have God not only with you and in you, you have God for you. God's faithfulness is proven by the ministry of Of Jesus Christ. Let's move a little further in our conversation, in our look at Romans 15. Christ's ministry is for all people. Christ's ministry is for all people. We see that in verses 9, 10, and 11. Take a look there with me. It says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. Paul has been proclaiming God's faithfulness to all people from the beginning of the letter. You can see it right in the, in the probably the most important... Uh, or thematic verse of the letter Romans 1 16 and 17 which says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to, for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greeks for in it the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous Shall live by faith. In verse 8 of our text, we see God's covenant faithfulness. In verse 9, we see God's abundant mercy. It says, In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Mercy is a great and important term, but what does it mean? It is God withholding from us the wages that our sin has been accruing. God withholding from us. The payment that our sin deserves. We see this in Scripture. Now, let this passage of Scripture wash over you for a moment. In Psalm 103. It might be familiar to some and maybe not to all, but look at verses 10-12 through 12 on the screen. God does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. So in verse 8, Jesus Christ came as a servant to the circumcised to prove God's faithfulness and that ministry also impacts not just the Jews but also the Gentiles the rest of the nations and the the Gentiles rise up and give praise to God for His abundant mercy that mercy that withholds from us the judgment due the, the judgment that I've earned based upon my sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of God demonstrating this mercy, those that have come to know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, we praise God. That's what we do. God's ministry through Christ is for all people, and those that have received that mercy praise God in abundance. Now, what we're going to see in, in these next few verses is a listing. And Paul does something really amazing. Now, it's, I'm, I'm going to share the Greek words. That's the warning. Ding, 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 ding. Please don't shut down. You don't have to understand the Greek words in order to appreciate what's being said here. What I want you to see here is Paul piling up different ways that he expresses praise for God. The Gentiles express praise for God. So now the list is going to come out, all six at once. There it is. You see, glorify, dogzadzo. Praise, egzomoligeo. Sing, salo. You see, rejoice, Ufra, uh, Ufreno. And then you have those two praises that, that are slightly different uses. You see how he uses six different words to express in very short order the Gentiles praising God, the Gentiles singing to God, the Gentiles glorifying God, the Gentiles praising God, the Gentiles rejoicing in God. He's piling up these different ways of saying the same thing all because of God's mercy. So actually, as I was thinking about this, it was reminding me of a flurry. That came in 2004 from a political figure. His name is Howard Dean. Now, Howard Dean was expressing his great passion for coming in third at the Iowa Democratic Caucus. And he went on this flurry of listing the states that he was going to go on to win. And he was so excited as he said, we're going to go to this state, and we're going to go to this state, and we're going to go to this state, and he was going to go to this state. He let out this epic scream. Now, if you want to hear it, I'm not going to play it in church, look it up later. And here's how YouTube knows this scream. Just Google this. The scream that doomed Howard Dean. He was so worked up that he kind of lost control of his faculties for a moment, and it became kind of a laughing stock. Bam, bam, bam. Paul is not doing that. Paul is taking a very measured and clear-minded and sober approach to listing how Gentiles, those that are not Jews, that come to know Jesus as their Savior, proclaim and extol and rejoice and praise and sing to God because of the mercy that they have received because they found out of the work, the ministry, the servitude of Jesus Christ when He laid down His life as a once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. And so we sing. We sing and we praise and we rejoice because God is so great. The Jews see Him in His faithfulness to fulfill His promises. And the Gentiles, the rest of us, have come to recognize the mercy that we've received because God fulfilled those promises. And we benefit. We say, God, You're amazing. And Jesus, You're my Savior. And I love You. And I worship You. And I give You all honor that is due to Your name. Paul is under control as he expresses this in many ways, the essence of Gentile praise toward God for his mercy in Christ. And as we go along and see uh, this God's praise for, excuse me, people's praise for God, um, this kind of ties together the themes that have been going on in chapter 14 and 15, which is people that are strong and people that are weak. They disagree about certain things. And they learn because of the mercy of God and the welcome of God and the upholding of God. They learn to welcome one another with those differences because God saves Jewish people and God saves Gentile people. God saves those that are theoretically strong in the faith and those that are theoretically weak in the faith. Welcome one another. And So he ties that theme together this way. And in verses 9, 10, and 11 he quotes uh, three different passages. In verse 9 he quotes 2 Samuel 22 50 or Psalm 18. And in verse 10 he quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43. And then in Psalm one, uh, excuse me, in verse 11 he quotes Psalm 117. So As we read this, we're not going to turn to all those passages because they're direct quotes. We are going to turn to Psalm 117 in just a moment. But I want for us to hear again the praise that is being called for from people that have come to know Jesus Christ based upon God's work through Jesus Christ. Let's, Let's take a look at verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, "...in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name uh, sing to your name. And again I will say, rejoice o gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. Take a look at Psalm 117 now. This is the third of the quotations or citations that he makes. The first two citations show God's faithfulness to Israel. And his promises toward them. While the last one really emphasizes the universal call for praise from all people. For God is a refuge to all who call upon him. Now Psalm 17 is a nice, succinct psalm. Two verses only. And it is packed with amazing food for our soul. We only have just a couple of moments to look at it. But I want for us to look at it and and allow some of the nourishment that is there to encourage us. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm Psalm 117. He says, praise the Lord all nations. Extol Him all people. So there's the call. Praise God. Everyone. Extol God. Everyone. That's clear. That's the call. But the basis of that that call to praise is found in verse 2. Look at what it says. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So there are two reasons that he gives in verse 2 for our praising God. The first is steadfast love. That comes from a Hebrew term, chesed. Now, you can translate chesed as steadfast, covenant, loyalty. Or, more generally, you can translate that as mercy. Mercy. Praise God, for he is merciful. His, praise him for his great mercy toward us. And then, he uses in the second part of the verse, another Hebrew term, Ameth. Faithfulness, which you could translate faithfulness or you could translate truth. Now the reason I point that out is when back in Romans chapter 15, as he's telling us, listen, welcome one another like Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. He said, remember this, that the Christ came to demonstrate God's amet. His faithfulness. His truth. And the 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 Gentiles give God praise because of His chesed, His mercy. See, this Psalm 117 doesn't just come at the end of what's going on in in Romans 15, the passage we're talking about. He also is already kind of uh, putting out some seeds of that in our discussion. We understand God to be faithful and true and merciful toward us. We can praise Him, and we should praise Him. We should glorify His name that when God speaks, I can say that's going to happen. I can believe Him. Faithfulness or truth. And that sinners, like me, can come to Him. That's God's mercy. So we should all praise Him because He's faithful and merciful. Head back, please, to Romans 15. God is worthy to be praised by all people for He's merciful merciful. He is faithful. He is safe. God grants His church a mind that is unified around His glorious mercy. And we with one mind and with one mouth praise Him. And the reason is because of the perfect ministry or service of our Savior Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the fact that uh, Christ's ministry uh, proves God's faithfulness. That Christ's ministry is for all people. The, last, uh, the, the third concept that we'll talk about and just be for a moment is that Christ's ministry will be universal. Look at verse 12 now. Christ's ministry will be universal. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So here in verse 12, Paul quotes Isaiah 11 and verse 10. And it's quite a passage. That passage in Isaiah 11 shows a radical transformation of everything. It is a reference to a coming kingdom that will one day be in full bloom as Jesus Christ rules the nations in righteousness. Here in this life, we're in 2022, right? Here in this life, we have small tastes of that coming kingdom. Because our Savior is the head over the church. And you know this? There are assemblies all over the globe. All around the world, there are assemblies meeting today. People of different dialects and languages and people groups. There are millions of Christians gathered today singing praise to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. All day long. All around the clock. All around the globe. People everywhere singing praise to God. It's a little taste of that coming kingdom. We have a small little part in it this morning as we gather together, worshiping under the banner of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We lift our voices because our hearts are lifted up. We sing because we know of the mercy we've received. This wonderful kingdom that is going to come it's going to come in full bloom. We, we right now see it in bits and pieces, but in one, one day it's going to come in its fullness. And so we say to that, even so come Lord Jesus. Yes. In Him, we all have hope. Confidence. Not, oh, I, I hope that's going to happen someday where all unrighteousness is set aside and Righteousness will rule the day and peace and truth and joy will, will, will inhabit the globe. I hope that will happen. No, this is a matter of when it will happen. It will happen. God has promised and He is faithful who promised. We wait for our Savior to return from heaven. So Christ's ministry will be universal. That leads us to our last Concept for this morning that our text points out, and that's this. It's rather lengthy. Not lengthy in time, it's lengthy in words. Don't don't fret. Hot dogs are coming your way. (laughs) Everyone loves a good hot dog. Probably not everyone. All right. Number four. God and his ministry through Christ is the basis of our hope. God And His ministry through Christ is the basis of our hope. Please don't ever forget this. It's not about words on a page in a book. Now, I know this to be the authoritative, divinely given, inspired Word of God. I know that to be true. I believe that with all my heart. If there were no God behind this, this would be Useless. The one who gives me hope is the God who authored, preserved, and fulfills what He has revealed in this passage. So remember, our faith is never in the printed page. Our faith is in the one who declared what's on the printed page. And that's what we see here in verse 13. Look at what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may have hope. Just a side note, at the end of verse 12, we have Gentiles hoping in Jesus, the second person of the triune God. At the beginning of verse 13, a reference to a prayer to the God our Father who is the Father who authors hope. It's a... The first person of the triune Godhead. And at the end of verse 13, he says that through the power of the Holy Spirit you may have hope. So now the third person of the triune God is associated with this. So this hope is vested and comes from all three members of our triune Godhead. God is very interested in providing little old me and little old you with this confident understanding of him this confident expectation from him the triune god is the source of our hope god is the source of our hope that's why we can be so confident when you are weary and discouraged yes you ever get there when you're weary and discouraged look to him when you are weary and discouraged talk to him. When you're weary and discouraged, listen to him in the scriptures. Go to him. He is a God of hope. The scriptures abound in hope, but it's God who graciously supplies that hope to us. So seek him. Paul prays, and so should we, that God would fill us with all joy. And peace in believing. We should pray toward that end. We are not dependent upon ourselves for this hope. Oh, how can I muster this hope? No, it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's what the second half of the verse says. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How do I find this hope? Well, Hebrews chapter 6 speaks of. God making a promise and an oath that's two things that it's impossible for God to lie when our hope is in him he serves as an anchor for our soul both sure and steadfast continuing unwavering unshakable in this that passage tells us it's a really key portion it's for those who flee to God for refuge We run from stuff, right? Something blows up. Most of us are running in the other direction, right? Firefighters run run toward it and the Marines run toward it. Everyone else just about runs away from it. In this scenario, God is calling to you. You have a problem? Run to me. Come to me. I will supply you with all the hope that you need He has proven Himself trustworthy. So maybe, listen carefully, we're just about to wrap up. Maybe you haven't experienced His trustworthiness yet. I have a suggestion for you. Just a little sample and short possible prayer. Maybe you could utter something like this to the Lord. Lord, I need You to show me that you're trustworthy. I've been betrayed by so many in my life. Help me to see that you are safe and merciful and faithful. Maybe that's a good starting point for you because you haven't experienced God's faithfulness to this point. Or maybe you're further along than that. Maybe you could say something like this to the Lord. Lord, Lord, I have heard that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'm a sinner. Please save me. For those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, and we have great confidence about the future because we know that we've been redeemed and because we know God to be reliable and trustworthy, we might be able to pray something like this, brothers and sisters. Maybe you might be able to pray, Lord, you're amazing, you're awesome. You've given me hope. Please continue to give me an ever to give me, in ever-growing portions of time, your joy and peace in believing. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause me to abound in hope. You know, when all of us are realizing our dependence upon God, and we understand that we have been welcomed by God with all of our weaknesses and all of our weirdnesses, it is a fertile ground for us to be welcoming of one another. And when we welcome one another with all of our warts, and our differences, and our sinfulness, and point one another toward Christ, and His mercy, and His faithfulness, we can together praise God for His mercy. And we can together praise God for His faithfulness because of the wonderful ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, You are good you are faithful, you are true, you are merciful. I pray for anyone among us that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior that you would open their eyes to see your reliability and that they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to receive from Him forgiveness and life and righteousness, eternal life. We pray for each believer here that You would encourage and strengthen us that we would have all joy and peace in believing and that by the power of Your Holy Spirit we might abound, absolutely abound with confidence, hope in You because we have seen Your faithfulness again and again. Fill us with joy and peace in believing. In Jesus' name, Amen.